Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and in our lives. I'm Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for the Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. And I am Adam Erickson, writer at the Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. This is episode 35 for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. In this episode, we discuss Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and we use the Common Lectionary. Hello, Lindsay. Hi, Adam. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm... I'm fine. The world continues to do its thing. Yeah. With coronavirus and protests of racism and uh black people continue to get killed by police officers, our transgender women of color continue to get killed. There was a big I mean two of our transgender siblings were murdered last week both I think on the same day on Monday. So it's just kind of a chaotic, tragic, violent time. Some, uh, one of our black siblings was killed while falling asleep in the Wendy's drive-through. Yeah. I mean, when is it going to end? How long, how long Lord are we going to live like this? Yes. Um, the protests do make me hopeful. I know that hope is not enough. I know that it's already been far too long. I know that we need to change public policy and attitudes and everything. The whole, the whole system needs to be uprooted and transformed and replanted on something much more solid, something like love instead of this enmity and racism and scapegoating foundation that the United States has been built upon. I am hopeful because of the protests, but hope has to lead to something bigger. And coronavirus has me scared. Everything mixed in with the hope, there's a lot of fear. Yeah. And fear, fear not only of the virus, but of the way that all the extra burdens of this virus, including those that land most heavily on the poor and communities of color and the way that the virus exacerbates all our present troubles also leads to more unrest. Some of it is being channeled in a very positive way, but some of it is being channeled in a very, very negative way you know, exacerbating prejudices that already existed. It's just a, a very, very turbulent time. 
Indeed it is. And we have been through turbulent times before and uh, our gospel lesson today is about some turbulent times too. And maybe we can find some not only hope, but inspiration to act through this passage. It's, uh, it's a bit of a long one, but uh, it's got some good stuff in it. It does. I'll read it now. It is Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and then again, 25 through 30. So there's a lot in the middle that isn't talked about, and it also jumps in at a fairly awkward place. So you might want to go back and look at the whole context of these verses, but I'm going to read the ones in the lectionary now. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus starts off this passage with this reference to an ancient Israelite tradition where men would play the flute and instruments during a funeral and the women would wail. Or men would play the flute and instruments during a wedding ceremony and women would dance. And children would mimic this as they played it was one of the games that children played throughout the day they would they would mimic this and boys would play the flute and girls would do the dance or do the mourning and it was a game uh for children to play in learning how to be like adults right and jesus says it's as if the game has just gotten all messed up and you're not playing the game anymore there's not this reciprocity and interestingly when i when i read this i was reminded of when jesus says uh you when it says in here we wailed and you did not mourn i just went back to uh, the sermon on the mount where jesus says blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted right and here we're at this place where oh my gosh nobody is mourning what you should be mourning anymore <laughs> It's like almost a callousness mm -hmm. to the pain uh, that people are experiencing is what this passage might be getting at. Interesting. I took it slightly differently, I guess, because 
it seems like Jesus is comparing this generation to children who don't quite understand why they're not getting the response that they want. But of course, he's not talking about children. He's comparing He's comparing the adults who know full well how things are supposed to work or who think they do. He's comparing them to children. And he's saying, you're complaining because these rituals are breaking down and people aren't necessarily responding the way you believe they should. So you're right. It it is talking about the comparison he's making is about how children learn from adults by imitating and by taking adults as their models. But Jesus is saying, you're complaining because you're not getting the results you want because the system is starting to break down. And this generation, I think Jesus is referring to not just the people in power, but the people under the power structure who want the power structure to continue because their lives are pretty good or at least well-organized or at least recognizable to them because of the power structure. And they are complaining because the people for whom the power structure has been a burden are not, are starting to not respond in the way that they've, they are typically supposed to. And I really think of it as today, people complaining about protesters, people complaining about people not knowing their place anymore. You know, not that their place was a natural place. It was a place that was developed by a power structure. Our natural place is together in harmony. But this is about people not accepting subordinate roles anymore. I think of it that way. I'm not sure if I explained it in a way that makes sense. But I think Jesus is calling out this generation for complaining that some people are fed up with the power structure. Yeah, no, I think that fits really well. I think that works really well. I think that part of it is also, you know, there, this is referring to, I think, Ecclesiastes, where it says there's a time for celebration and a time for mourning, right? Uh, We played the flute and you did not dance and we wailed and you did not mourn. There's a time for both of these. And when, as you say, when the power structure, when the system is not working uh, the way that it's supposed to, like Jesus brings with him the kingdom of God, which is an entirely different alternative to the kingdom of Rome. It's like, you know, when Jesus comes and next he says, John came neither eating or drinking and you said that he was doing something bad. (laughs) And then Jesus comes and he's eating and drinking and you're like, uh, he's doing something bad. And so you're in this situation where you just can't win because no matter what you do, the power structures, when you're trying to transform the status quo, the power structures are going to come after you. And how do you, uh, as you say, like, how do you not get sucked into the message of the power structures because even the oppressed can start to take on the message of the power structures. Why? Because it's safer. When you take on the power structures, you could get shot and killed while sleeping in a Wendy's parking lot. 
it is safer to just to just go along with the power structures as you say and even that's not really safe if you are beneath the power structures like it is safer to go along to get along but when you could be when you could be completely complying and you're still shot when you could be saying when you could be saying i'm getting my license and registration officer but i want to let you know that i do have a registered firearm in the car and you could be shot when you're asleep in your bed and you could be shot um then nothing's safe anymore and taking on the power structure is still a risk because you're deliberately putting yourself out there but it's something that needs to be done when you recognize that you're not safe no matter what because the power structure is not designed to respect your life it's designed to use you and exploit you but not respect you and when jesus says john the baptist was fasting and you said he had a demon and now the son of man is eating and drinking and you're demonizing him too it just it's not about what you're doing it's about finding it's about the power structure finding a way to demonize you no matter what it just makes me think martin luther king came marching and you said he was a terrorist. Colin Kaepernick knelt peacefully and you said he was disrespecting the flag. These are opposite actions. I mean, one is walking and moving, the other is kneeling down and standing still, and it doesn't matter to the power structures that feel threatened by both. And those power structures will say, we gave you everything, why didn't you appreciate it? without listening to the pain of the people and without recognizing the change that they need to do in order to be a system that works for everyone. Yes. And uh, I mean, interestingly, Kaepernick and King were both nonviolent. <laughs> Their protests, what they had in common was that they were both nonviolent protests. And it doesn't matter if it's nonviolent or violent, you're still going to be called a terrorist either way by the powers uh, that want to keep you down. So uh, the passage gets yeah. uh, interesting as we continue to move along because uh, I am reading from my study Bible, which is the, the new interpreters Bible study. And uh, the passage from math, the gospel of Matthew is, has commentary from Warren Carter and Warren Carter says that this last part uh, where Jesus thanks the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. The whole passage, Warren Carter says, is anti-imperialism. <laughs> it is a an, another one of Jesus's throwdown against uh, the empire. And that's so easy for us to miss because we just think that Jesus is having this conversation with um, God, uh, the Father, and we miss all the uh, 
imperialistic language that Jesus is referring to. So Warren Carter says that in this passage, in the context of uh, much rejection that Jesus is experiencing, some believe Jesus recognizes God's sovereignty over all creation. Similar language was used for Rome's emperor. So when Jesus is talking about all things being handed over from God to Jesus, we get into this like, what does that mean? This is, it means uh, that not everything is handed over to Caesar or the emperor, (laughs) which is what the emperor wanted people to believe. And so the emperor could use violence to dominate to take taxes from people. And Jesus here is saying, no, 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 no. Not all things have been given to the emperor. Don't believe that imperialistic garbage. (laughs) All things have been given to me. And what does Jesus do with it? He works for justice and he does it through the most anti-imperialistic way you could find, through nonviolent direct action. And yes, the powers that be are going to come against it. But that's what Jesus, that's how Jesus shows us that God works in the world through a direct nonviolent action uh, that seeks to love all people, even those we call our enemies, but not um, uh, not become uh, complicit or not. I mean, I'm complicit, so I don't like the word don't become complicit because I am complicit in this stuff, but in a way that uh, goes after and tries to transform the injustices of the world, even if you have to uh, go against the empire to do it. Yes. (laughs) It's verse 27 where Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And what does Jesus have at that point? He does not have armies at his command. He does not have unlimited wealth. He does not have the things that the people would recognize the emperor as having. So if this is an anti-imperialist passage, and I, I agree with that interpretation, absolutely, then it's a direct commentary against what people understand power and wealth and authority to be. If he's saying God has handed all things over to me and we wonder what does Jesus actually have? He does have authority and unique insight as the son of God, which by which I mean he has an insight into the true nature of God as love. But I think that also means if we look deeply enough, we can find that same connection in ourselves. And we can see that the abundance of the world, the oxygen in the air, the the trees, the flowers, the animals, all that is created for us to love and take part in, you know, we have that as much as anyone else. What what God has given to Christ, he's given to us. And that is the ability to recognize that love is the center of the universe. He really is empowering the people, I think. I don't think this is meant to be taken as this is uniquely mine and not yours. I think it's taken to me and look at what I have, which is 
not a lot in terms of material possessions. And I think it's an empowering verse to say, you have this too, you have what you need and you don't need to be under these authoritative structures which are, which might possibly lift you up at the expense of someone else. You don't need that. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, Good. I, uh, like when Jesus says all authority or all things have been handed over to me by my father, one of the whole points of Jesus coming to earth is to help us, to show us how to participate in the divine life. So Jesus is not saying, as, as you beautifully put it, Jesus is not holding all things for himself and saying, uh, I now own all of this and you all have to bow to me as if he's a new emperor, right? G what Jesus mm -hmm. is saying here, and as it continues, he talks about how these things have been hidden from the wise and the intelligent and revealed to infants. I mean, this is another passage where Jesus, we talked about it last week, I think, where Jesus is totally flipping the power structures. He's totally flipping our expectations upside down. He's bringing a sense of um, equality, a sense of we're all in this together. Like the infants, he's elevating infants. And by that, he means, yes, he means children. And yes, he means people who are new to the faith. And he's saying that this is for everyone. There's this sense in which those of us who have been well-educated, <laughs> right, like myself, can start thinking that we have some kind of secret knowledge to all of this, and we're going to keep it for ourselves, and so that we can think that we're really smart, and we know God. And Jesus is like, no, your grandma, who never went to seminary, who never went to college, who maybe got an eighth grade education if she was lucky, she knows God just as well as you do, if not even better <laughs> than you do, right? I mean, that's, that's the essence of what this is getting at. It's about sharing and a sense of humility in what we know about God and what we claim to know about God. Uh, and Jesus, what Jesus shows us over and over again is that God is not like the emperor, <laughs> who claims to the emperor who claims to be the son of God. If you want to know what God is like, look to the emperor. Jesus is constantly saying, no, look to me. Not because I'm arrogant, not because I think I'm something special and above everybody else, precisely because I don't think that I'm special and above everybody else. But the son of man came to serve, not to be served, right? This is the anti-imperialistic language that Jesus is getting at. And if we actually believed it, oh my goodness, how much of the world would be transformed. Amen. Amen. If we actually believed it, everything would be different. And if we believe it now, we can start making things different because it will take a very, very long time. It will take a long time because we are struck in the power system, not only physically, not only does it impact us from the outside, but it impacts us from the inside out. We're stuck in that thinking. And that is a very old, old way of thinking. So the infants are those who reject the power structures as they are and 
are beginning to see, like infants, we don't know what's in store for us as we continue to live into the new model of living together in cooperation. We're in an infancy stage because the idea that the earth is abundant for us to share and that we can get the most out of life by serving each other which means we create a world in which we do receive what we need from each other too, but it takes time to build that. So this is what Jesus means by infancy. It's, it's a new thing. It's still new 2,000 years after he said it because we haven't started really living into it. But that's what he means by infancy. So it has nothing to do with physical age, as you said our grandparents and great-grandparents could be the infants. But that's the yoke of Jesus, the model of sharing and abundance. And he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and sick and tired and overburdened. And he says, my burden is easy. It's the same burden for the rich and the powerful, but he doesn't say that to them because it means giving up something. instead of gaining something. It's not so easy for those who are rich. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle if you're rich. And he, yeah, this is, this is what he means. This is why the knowledge is hidden from the powers and revealed to infants. And this is why if we want to attain it, we have to become like infants, giving up so much of the power structures and the conventional ways of thinking that go with it. And if the conventional ways of thinking have been beneficial to us, then it's more to give up and uh, harder, but in the end, easier. It makes the world just better. Yes. And uh, that's, that's one of the things that's difficult for me as a white male heterosexual cisgender middle class male i think i mentioned that twice uh because i'm like i'm blind to all of the ways that i have benefited from the way that the structures are put in place and so i constantly need to be in relationship with folks who are not like me in order to have my eyes opened and not be um, what's the scandalized when that happens is a is a spiritual practice uh, to not be offended when I don't get it, <laughs> you know, and when people are frustrated because we've been trying to get you to understand this for 400 years and you're still not getting it. And I'm like, sorry, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I put many of the same boxes, although not all of them. And it is easy to be scandalized when the truth is coming from people who haven't been on the upside of power. Even saying that out loud sort of scandalizes me against myself because it's just a terrible thing that not only have power structures been designed in such a way as to mostly elevate me, but it's horrible to think about how even I'm embarrassed by my own embarrassment. If it's scandalous at first, we need to move through the scandal. And if we really worship Jesus, then we have to 
recognize where his words indict us and keep worshiping him through that and not back away from the scandal and not twist it as we've twisted it so many times to keep power at the top. I mean, the way Christianity has been abused to abuse others, that's one of the biggest scandals that we need to stare right in the face and transform. Absolutely. Well, Lindsay, thank you for talking about this pretty difficult passage. Jesus is not always this peaceful, lovey-dovey guy. He often challenges us so that we don't make peace with the injustices of the world. And that, I think, is what this is getting at. And that's uh, one of the ways that you inspire me. So thank you for talking about this passage with me. You inspire me too. And although it's difficult and although Jesus makes us uncomfortable, the end that we're getting to is so much more beautiful than we could possibly imagine because it hasn't happened yet. Yep. Still in our infancy, as we grow into this new life that Jesus is presenting, everything's just going to get more and more beautiful. Amen to that. So friends, thank you for listening. I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. And that is all from this episode of Jesus Unmasked. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to our editor, Rhea Dickerson. Uh, you can catch up with Rhea at depthofechoes.com. And if you like this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.